This right here is On the Matter of Systems, a tabletop role-playing show where every month your hosts will critically engage with some RPG theory and some RPG design. Speaking of hosts, I'm your host for the theory episodes. My name's B, like a, the kind with a stinger. And I'm, I'm joined by my co-host, as always, BW. Hello. I am BW. Hi. <laughs> I don't have a stinger. And I also am much lower energy than you are. <laughs> Listen, I gotta turn it up. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, I'll be a drag. Yeah, and I will be the... So I will be playing the drag this episode. <laughs> we trade off. Yeah. Um, what are we doing here, so, B? So many what are we doing here, BW? We are going to talk about Grand Experiments West Marches by Ben Robbins. Um, a series of blog posts that were written between 2007 and 2008. The, at least the first uh, four or five were. Uh, there's a short blog posts. They are about a game that Ben Robbins ran, uh, or a style of game that Ben Robbins ran in uh, from the years, I believe, 2000 to 2002 or 2001 to 2003 um i got i doing research heard different numbers uh and then there's a series of series of follow-ups from uh 2015 2018 and 2021 um, that are also on his blog that I did read. I think you also read, right, BW? Yeah, I, I think I, I, I at some point just ended up clicking on the West Marches tag and just read all of the things tagged with that. I, I, I ended up doing some background research, as I am want to do. Not a ton. Uh, this is not going to be an Avery Alder level of <laughs> uh, context. Thank God, am I right? <laughs> Wow. I do my best, okay? Sorry, I'm sorry, that was me playing the drag this episode. Uh-huh. I, I gotcha, I gotcha. So yeah, um it's a it's a series of blog posts about this way of structuring a role-playing game that he ran some half decade earlier at the time of writing. When I went to look up Ben Robbins, um, I think he is most well known at this point for the uh role-playing game Microscope, uh, which uh, when I was when I was look, poking around, I, I was looking at RPG Geek, and I didn't realize RPG Geek had like a, a an overall rankings of role playing games. <laughs> That's that is a just a hilarious concept to me. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, I didn't dig deep into it. It looks like it's a mixture of like user reviews and RPG Geek review scores that like are aggregated and and you know spit out sort of IMDb style or whatever. Interesting. Uh, it hit microscope number fifteen. Hey, way to go, BW. What would you What would you guess is number one? Uh, is it not Dungeons and Dragons? It's not. Interesting. RPG Geek. What would be number one? I have no. I I genuinely don't even like have a guess. I have no idea. It's a big game. It's a big name game. I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, I can give you another hint if you like. Gerps. Um, no. <laughs> uh, I can, here's my, here's my second hint. I, and I don't know if you know this piece of, uh, at least, uh, apocryphal trivia. Uh, I have heard over multiple sources, none of which I necessarily completely believe that this is the biggest, uh, role-playing game in Japan, actually. Um, B. <laughs> uh-huh. How, how is that a hint? <laughs> What in, what information <laughs> do you think I was going to get from that hint to help me in this guess? I'm very curious. Uh, it's uh, like I said, I've, it's a thing I have heard mentioned incidentally in a bunch of different places. Uh, I think including possibly on Waypoint Radio. So that's interesting. I I mean I 
like I could just start naming off RPGs, but I have no idea. I mean, like it's probably not Dungeon World. That's too small. It's probably not Correct. Apocalypse World. That doesn't Correct. seem right. Uh, I could see also Blades being high, but not that high. Uh, Blades, I, as I recall, Blades is pretty high. I think Dungeon World is actually higher. It might actually be higher than Microscope, but um, interesting. Nope. Uh, I'll give it to you. Yeah, please. It's uh, it is the the good old Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> oh my God! Okay, I've now uh-huh. I'm now going to RPG Geek so I can look at this uh-huh. list. Okay. Um, uh-huh. While you do that, I will keep talking. Um, so. Um, at the time of writing World this, is number three. Oh, is it? I, listen, I looked at it very briefly. No, yeah, I know that was sorry. That wasn't I, that wasn't even meant to be like. A, I'm just hey, way to go, Apocalypse World. Also, yeah. the number one and number two are both Call of Cthulhu. Okay, as, as I recall, it's like it's Cthulhu sixth edition and then Cthulhu first through fifth edition or something like that. Is that right? Uh, it's hilarious. It is number one is Call of Cthulhu seventh edition. Uh. Number two is Call of Cthulhu, specifically second through sixth, not first sure. edition, not there, doesn't <laughs> no. doesn't rank. Absolute garbage, yeah. just just a miserable product. Exactly, and then yeah, and then Apocalypse World is three, Fiasco Classic is four, and Blades in the Dark is five. That's it. Anyway, Damn. I apologize, I interrupted you, but I just I'm gonna let you. Yeah, all good, talking. all good. Um, so just you know, that's all useful info because I'm getting most of the rest of what I'm about to say here from RPG Geek, which you know, who knows what you believe about them or how you feel about them. But so for his background, um, yeah, Microscope wouldn't come out until 2011. Prior to writing the West Marches stuff, it looks like he had made some sort of supplements or. Um, other sort of errata for uh, Mutants and Monsters 2nd Edition. Um, he had made something in the Agon system and a sort of, it looks like a hack of inspectors. Hmm. He would go on to release uh, Kingdom and Follow later. And another game called Union, which I know nothing about. Yeah, I've, I don't know that I've even heard of Union. Yeah, I, did, I he mentioned it in one interview that I heard. Hmm. I think it's like literally, I don't think, I don't think there was any follow-up. The um, the most recent thing he was released, actually, this is kind of interesting, I think, is uh, he just last year, uh, 2021, released a second edition for Kingdom, which includes a legacy component where he has turned uh, Kingdom into a GMless campaign game, or like you can run it as a campaign, hmm. which is a thing I have never heard of before. Um, like that, I don't think. Yeah, that's cool. I, that yeah. makes me want to look at it. Yeah, I guess you could theoretically run no di- some no dice no masters games as a campaign but they're not like oriented that way um, mo- that explicitly i feel like but i haven't read all of them obviously so I-, I can't entirely speak to that but it seems interesting i also if you go trolling around for interviews with ben robbins uh most of the stuff you'll find is him uh advocating for gmless games for uh which is which is interesting. Um, he seems to have taken a hard shift away from the West Marches stuff at a certain point, um, or pivot, I guess you could call it. We could talk about that more later. There's uh, some other stuff about Ben Robbins specifically. Um, he ran a meetup group called Story Game Seattle for re- like what seems to be roughly 10 years, where he was running, it sounds like... Uh, Early on, it was like a monthly meetup, and then it eventually became a weekly meetup. And then for a while, he was literally running like two to three games a week or uh, organizing that two or three games a week were being run in specific spots in Seattle for, you know, as many as eight years or something like that. Wow, that's that's cool. Yeah, he's a he's a very big um, 
uh, <laughs> enemy of the podcast, as, as we might say. Uh, he, he is very much a, like, to design games, you have to play games. To, like, know a game, you have to play the game kind of person. Yeah. Which, uh, which is uh, a premise we do not, do not begin from here. There was an interview, he had an interview with uh, the Electric Dice stream channel podcast thing i don't really know what their deal is super much but it seemed to, they do they do they do twitch streams and they talk about role-playing games on some level and that's where i initially found out about the story game seattle stuff um and there was a moment when he is talking with the host about west marches and he brings up that he had a campaign running for 20 years but i couldn't quite tell if he was saying that the west marches campaign was like a specific spin-off of his 20-year campaign um He's, he's talked about running D&D specifically for, uh, since the 80s, um, hmm. up until, like, the, up until, like, 2010 or something like that, um, maybe a little earlier, but, that, uh, at least into the 2000s. That's interesting. I, yeah. uh, I took from one of the, one of the posts is called Layers of History, uh, and I took from that post, the way he was talking about it, it, it made it seem to me that as though West Marches was its own thing. That seems very likely, but I, it was just a weird moment in an interview where I couldn't entirely tell, because he's talking about how, like, he'd been running a game for 20 years, or a campaign for 20 years, and, like, so he got a certain level of buy-in from his players regarding, like, whether something had been in the story for, uh, you know, 20 years, or, like, or he made it up, it was never clear to the players, so there was, like, a level of buy-in to the world, um, even when he was doing stuff on the fly, it was, like, harder to tell. Hmm. Um, which seems to fit in with his sort of style that he talks about in this uh, in this post we're about to talk about. But yeah, um, just to wrap up the uh, the sort of rele- relevant context. Um, so this was played from like 2001 to 2003. Um, in 2000, uh, D&D Dungeons & Dragons 3rd Edition came out. It, uh, on some levels, might be the most important version of Dungeons & Dragons. It's the first one published by Wizards of the Coast after they bought TSR. Uh, it's the first one that's sort of not backwards compatible with previous editions of, of Dungeons & Dragons. It also introduces both the open game license and the D20 system. So uh, when you think about Dungeons & Dragons and you think about people rolling D20s to check for everything, that's a third edition thing. Um, prior to third edition, there were skill checks and stuff like that, but they were they were differentiated by dice. Like certain things would require different size die. Um, I think combat was always a D20, but uh, this sort of like uh, unified the D20 thing. And the D20 system was actually a, a licensing thing. So the open game license is like, and this is like still a little muddled, muddled in my brain, so I'm not going to get this 100% here. But my understanding is the open game license is a, like a system resource document that they were like, here is the stuff you can use. Um, so there is like a giant spell lists and um, character classes and a bunch of other like things um, that that are literally like open sourced, basically. Um, so people can just take all that stuff and they can build a game around it or a setting around it. Uh, but then there's the D20 system, which is the thing you would have to actually pay for to use, which is... Things like skill checks and and sort of the core system, I guess, of, of Dungeons and Dragons. To get that stuff, you'd have to license it directly from Wizards of the Coast. Hmm. But like, there's a bunch of other supplemental stuff that they're just like, feel free to take this stuff, incorporate it into your own game, as long as you like acknowledge it in the right way. With the idea being, um, 
they don't have the core rules in the in these products that people make. So they still have to buy the deep, the you know player's handbook and dungeon master's guide um, to like actually play this thing that somebody just like homebrewed. Um, but they were like a little less restrictive around that, which is a a sea change, I think. Um, a, a hugely important thing. This is where Pathfinder comes from, I think, most famously. And as an another one of those games that's like. Uh, maybe one of the earlier ones that's like, but let's go back to the old D and D. You know, already in third edition. I'm probably I'm probably selling Pathfinder short. I've never read or played it, so we'll see. Um, but like the other things that D and D through third edition does is it gets sort of Thacko, the two hit armor class zero. Uh, you get feats in third edition. Um, I think uh, traits are like something like traits are pulled in as an actual central component of the of characters rather than uh, like a supplementary thing and then the big one that's relevant here is that this is kind of the first edition that's like hey uh you should have a game board and you should be buying minis and you should be placing these minis because the combat rules are really really focused on positioning in a way that um i mean in first in like original D it was just like go by chainmail and uh, use those rules, <clears throat> which I, I looked up. I looked up chainmail and I like watched a little a little uh, example play of it. Uh, the way you like fight in chainmail is like you have to have like a fucking ruler, and it's like all oh, these these guys can can move three inches and attack at sixteen inches or whatever, uh, which is wild. Like, now that's that's what I call war. Uh-huh. <laughs> but I didn't realize it was just like no hex grid, no like. It, just no grid period it's just like you put your shit <laughs> wherever and then you can just move inches i mean uh, I, it, I think that is how that that is how i've always thought of like sort of traditional wargaming is is not hexes but more just like big open space and it's a lot of measuring i think i think you're right i just didn't know that because i don't i don't do wargaming and i never have <laughs> um um, but yeah, that's uh, that's sort of my historical context. Oh yeah, there's the other thing. The the you can find this on the Ars Ludi blog. I'm not going to recite the URL because Ben Robbins has for some reason kept a production studio name that has an uh, let's generously say ableist term in it. Yeah, it's it's really it's a it's a very surprising choice because I generally have always thought of Ben Robbins as like a person who's aware of things, <laughs> but. It seems like it mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, change change your name. I get it. It's hard uh, when you've had a name for a long time, but don't use your ableist slur, please. Yeah. Um, BW, do you want to get into what we have in the notes as broad argument? But this isn't really a thing with an argument, so <laughs> so good luck to me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, generous. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Hold on. Hold on. You're you're low energy today. Remember? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, you know, um, yeah, so normally when we, like, if we're reading the, the the couple of things we've read before, there, there are sort of like broad arguments, right? This is not a broad argument. That's not what this, this is doing. So basically what is happening in these many posts, I'm going to focus, I think, primarily on the first four, which is, I kind of, they all came out within a few months of each other. And it it feels like that was sort of for Ben. It was like here are my here's my four part thing introducing you to the concept of a West Marches campaign. So uh, what these posts are doing are essentially describing how Ben Robbins 
came up with this very odd approach to running a campaign uh, as compared to sort of more, I guess, traditional ways people think of tabletop RPG campaigns going. And so it's been kind of introducing the concept and then talking through some of the ways he made it work. And the basic idea of a West March's campaign, uh, we'll see if I get this right, but the basic idea of a West March's (laughs) campaign is it's essentially a big sort of like open-ended kind of exploration space. So in the case of Ben Robbins, like specific thing, right? West Marches was this big space. There was sort of a central town. And the idea was uh, players could then explore that space. So it was like a bunch of hexes. Ben Robbins had sort of a guide of like where things were. Um, and so if they went to a place, right, he could sort of be like, aha, you've gone to this hex. Here's the things that are happening at this hex. So that's the basic idea. But I- there's like a lot of stuff, though, um, in, all, in all of these <laughs> posts that's very interesting. I think some of the big ones for me of like, they're not, again, it's not broad arguments, right? But sort of the big sort of tentpole ideas here that are super interesting are um, like subversion of kind of normal roles. So like one of the very first things you read in the first blog post is players do all the scheduling. So It is up to the players to propose a session, propose what they want to do in that session, and then gather other players for that session, and then find a time. Yes. Which is exactly the opposite of how most tables assume this will go, which is the GM or DM is the one who does a lot of the scheduling, etc. Or it's a a regular thing. Correct. Yeah. It's our, it's our Wednesday night game, Correct. and every Wednesday we do this thing. Yeah. So in the first post, there's a, there's a really interesting little statement of intent, right? Which is, uh, my motive, I'm just I'm quoting, this is from Grand Experiments, colon, West Marches, the first of these posts. My motivation in setting things up this way was to overcome player apathy and mindless plot following by putting the players in charge of both scheduling and what they did in game. And so the in the quote, he's saying, setting things up this way, the this way he's talking about is basically what I've already said, which is, it's not a regular time. Players do all the scheduling. And there's no real sort of like grand plot. It's there's more of a sort of space that the players then drive where they want to go and explore in that space. And I thought it was really interesting how early on he talks about player apathy and mindless plot following. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And it's not like I'm laughing, not this isn't even like, to be clear, I'm not making fun of it or anything. I just, it's actually one of the things I really liked about the series of posts. So to go back to the idea of a broad argument, right? He actually does make some claims in these posts. Like, oh, for he sure. sure. Does. <laughs> but I, I actually really appreciate that. I think a lot of the claims are like pretty clearly contextual, right? Yes. And like, yes. this stuck out to me so strongly as compared to, for instance, System Does Matter, right? <laughs> System Does Matter is like such a good example of Mr. Mr. Ron Edwards saying, here's a thing I think. It is now universal and correct, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And I, I actually think Ben does a pretty good job of, in, in a few places, I mean, he says it in one of the posts, he says explicitly like, oh, the, and the, the way I'm talking about GMing is not the only way to GM, but I think if you want to run a West Marches game, this is actually the correct approach. Which again, I just, I just really appreciate from like a, I don't know, prose perspective and like (laughs) being aware of the thing you're writing and like appropriate scope. Like, I think he does a really good job of of making strong claims, like really strong claims sometimes. Oh, he sure does. But again, I think they're strong claims in the context of 
I have run a West Marches campaign, and I think this is the right way to do it. Yes. Which uh, I just ended up really enjoying reading these, even if I don't agree with everything. I just really enjoyed reading these because it didn't feel as though Reach was exceeding grasp constantly, I guess, uh, if that makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. I want to I wanna quickly run back to clarify one quick thing, because I feel like he hammers on this um, pretty hard. Um uh, the 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 hexes he's like pretty clear that he has like he has keyed out all of these hexes ahead of time like the he knows where everything in this world is before the before uh, session zero even basically correct and, and it changes obviously based on character action but he's like he's pretty clear that like no you need because one of his goals is like to be as impartial of a GM as possible. Like, he really wants to go to the referee style yeah. rather than the active GM, where he, talk, he, he talks about, like, there, there's probably some NPCs, but, like, you, like they don't matter. Like, they, they can't be adventurers, stuff like that. Um, and one of the things he talks about repeatedly, both, I don't remember if this is only in the actual posts or other shit I was reading, but, like, he's, he's very clear that, like, no, you set up the world ahead of time so that, like, when your players are in it, you like you are almost on their side because yeah. you're just like, oh damn, I did ooh, that's that's rough, dude. Like I yeah, I know I set that up like a year ago, <laughs> but yeah, like I don't I don't have any investment in it now. There's a <laughs> um, there's a line. I think I put it in my thing, but maybe not. Um, but there there's a line in one of the. In one of the, uh, yeah, it's on running your own. So there's a blog post that he he wrote. What it's like years later. Running your own is like the next is 2008, I believe. Oh yeah, it's one it's one year later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but in in running your own, he has this. He just has this great line about like es- essentially, you know, if if a player is killed by a direwolf, you are trying to GM in such a way that nobody at the table thinks the GM killed my player, right, or my character. It is that the direwolf killed your character. Yes. And I think you're yeah, I think you're exactly right to point that out because it does seem so important to what West Marches is, which is like the GM really is a facilitator in this kind of style of playing way more so than a normal gm would be i would argue right like totally this is about execution of of events that are pre-scripted in some ways uh and it's not about necessarily reacting in the moment to new plot twists or whatever um which is just so it's just so very interesting and like I don't know. The, I didn't put this in my notes because I didn't. I couldn't figure out a way to phrase it as as a note. But like, uh, I I probably read most of these posts at least twice, and I just kept coming away from all of them wondering like, I wish Ben had written a post about why he started this West Marches campaign. <laughs> if that like, like and like the social reasons, right? Like, was it that he had a group and they were like uh, having difficulty actually like planning things? Is it that he felt like the table was disengaged? Is it just that he had this idea? Because there's a lot of social stuff in a West Marches style. <laughs> campaign yes that yes. that is 
it feels like maybe there could be more time spent on it. <laughs> yeah, I think there's <laughs> there's a si- sort of um, you know me, you know I, I you know I read a little bit of Lacan in college and it was influential on me. I think there is a style of like almost Lacanian like psychoanalytic close reading you could do that like just picks apart at like what what are all of these things in response to because because some of them are pretty obvious right like you make a game like this partially because you have like 15 people who really want you to dm for them and you can't just dm for 15 people all the time (laughs) um i mean you can but those games are really tough to run and uh don't work great especially especially in third edition dungeons and dragons i can tell you that from experience (laughs) um I guess it's worth maybe just quickly jumping in and also hammering on that point for a couple seconds, which is because I didn't mention it, which is that's actually the other part of the West Marches campaign that is very interesting is. Yes. Um, it, it's a group and it's a rotating group. So this is part this is how the players schedule themselves can even work, right? Which is you have a big pool of people and the constant is the GM always needs to be able to be available, right? But otherwise, it's about finding sort of the overlapping sets of people who are both free at the same time and interested in exploring that part of West Marches, right? Yes. I think he mentions he, it's for him at the time, it was like a large email list, yeah. basically. Yeah. Now it would, of course, be Discord or something, but. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, you have? Did you have anything else, or I, should we? I, I don't think so. On on that exactly, I had had a thought, which was this is gonna this is gonna I I thought about this a lot, and I I'm probably not going to express this well, but I'm going to talk about project management for a second. <laughs> okay, um, let's go. So uh, I have I have done two two sort of different broad areas of work in my professional life or whatever and one of them has been project management and project management gets a bad rap for a lot of reasons it's mostly pretty bad to be honest (laughs) one of the reasons why i was drawn to it and why i think i continue to work in this field is project management is just very much about figuring out how to incentivize sort of the right behavior and what is right is obviously a bunch of anyway that's a complicated topic in the context of working for a a company but Mm -hmm. i think a lot about this kind of stuff at work which is like what are the systems i can like we can implement that will incentivize sort of the right behavior and in some ways the right behavior oftentimes for a lot of project managers right behavior is like you know accomplishing things on time and delivering value to the company or whatever who cares extracting surplus value yeah yeah, yeah. we understand a hundred percent um <laughs> for me a lot of what i end up advocating for and pushing for in the various project management roles i've been in is like what we want to incentivize is helping people understand how process can actually just let them do their jobs and like do their work and can actually make their lives easier and so in some ways it's incentivizing Like, one of the things I want to do is incentivize people to, for instance, easily self-report progress on, like, a project they're working on, right? Because there's, like, a bunch of executives who care, and they, like, want updates way too often. And so, like, I think a lot about, like, how can I uh, help people understand that this process can help them? And then sort of try and incentivize them to, like, 
continue to do the work, right? And so one of the ways you can help people do that is you can like get them involved in the reporting out process or whatever. And some people really like this because they can get like attention, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, this is all only related in that I think one of the more interesting things about how Ben Robbins talks about West Marches was really and truly about like incentivizing specific types of player behavior. And the thing I really kept coming back to was this idea of like, in some ways, what he is trying to incentivize is like, is just it like it will just actually make the game more fun for the players too, right? Like, and I, I don't know, I, I, you, you put this in your notes, and so maybe what I'm actually doing is kind of leading us towards talking through uh, this the social stuff um, that that you mentioned, which is like not a lot of there's not a lot of people who write about role playing games in terms of the structure of the sort of the actual play playing and like the social parts of playing and how you even get a table together, right? Like, and a, a lot of what, a lot of what Ben Robbins writes in these posts is almost like him trying to incentivize the players to engage sort of for, for themselves. So like they are enjoying it more. Cause like part, part of me, came away from this feeling like the the facilitation aspect of like the GM role in a West Marches campaign sort of turns him, at least in terms of like when they're like big battles or they're like trying to solve a problem, it turns him into like a weird player as well, right? Like mm-hmm. um, as opposed to a more traditional GM. I don't Absolutely. I don't think this is making any sense, but no, no, no. Um, can I? Yeah, please. Or, yeah. No, no, no. Please jump in. Okay. Uh, two very small things, and then I then large response. One one thing is the word traditional keeps coming up, and and uh, the West Marches stuff gets like very wrapped up in this OSR shit. Yeah. Um, where people are like, oh, well, no. The reason that work that West Marches worked is that it's 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 hearkening back to the the good old days of uh, of D anD D, where you'd like. And we, and, I mean, we've both, what was that fucking book read? Uh, Elusive Shift. Mm-hmm. We know that this is not true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we also know that Ben Robbins knows this is not true because in one of the follow-up posts, this is the second small thing, he never, in the first five posts, the sort of core ones that come in 20, 2007, 2008, he never names D&D as such. He never yeah. says what system he was running. Correct. There is There are literally, I think, two things that could lead you to Dungeons and Dragons, which is that he uses the term encounter levels, which is a Dungeons and Dragons thing, and he talks about a Sturge in a, like, a uh, throwaway thing about, like, it's not how the Sturge flies, like, travel's not how the Sturge flies, instead of how the crow flies, because the Sturge is, like, a flying thing in Dungeons and Dragons. Otherwise, it is completely system agnostic up until the follow-up post years later, which I thought was really interesting because I was genuinely like, well, I'm assuming this is D&D, but I guess it could be Pathfinder. And then I was like, oh, Pathfinder didn't come out until uh, fourth edition came out. So I guess not. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, and But I was like, it's probably not Call of Cthulhu, um, but it could be it could be GURPS. This like absolutely could be running GURPS, right? Yeah, like, for sure. Potentially a handful of other systems that were in existence. That, I guess you like theoretically they could be, have been running bunnies and burrows or some shit like I, I thought that was really interesting and it, it made me like it made me think harder about this in terms of like what what the goal was if he was sort of seemingly almost explicitly avoiding mentioning the system maybe it was just you know 
D&D is always in the air here, so you don't have to. But it, it seemed on some level almost explicit, like an avoidance of saying, this is how you run a D&D, you can run a D&D campaign, instead of saying, this is how you can run a, or this is how I ran a campaign and think you could do it also. Um, yeah, it, I agree with everything you've said. I also thought it was really interesting that he didn't mention the system for s- so much of it. But then what is interesting is when he does mention the system, specifically what he says is that one of the changes in third edition is like one of the things that allowed him to run a West Marches campaign. Yes, this is it exactly. Yeah, right, which came, like you said, years later in a follow-up post. And so it's like, oh, wait, what? (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that that was the thing I mentioned sort of at the end of of the overviews thing is that he specifically talks about the way that making battle maps is was actually like incredibly crucial in how he ran West Marches, and which is why it's so funny that people will claim that like, no, this is like the true eighties uh Dungeons and Dragons experience. And he's like, well, uh actually, yeah. <laughs> it's this only could have existed after two thousand as far as I can tell. Um, well it, and it's specifically because right, like he mentions the the hexes like you talked about which is like every square is five feet or whatever mm-hmm. which was so interesting because it also like the th- w- what he seems to mean there is yes all of the stuff he talks about with combat but really it's like this was just a thing i didn't have to decide there's enough that i need to decide or like need to do in terms of like rolling dice etc but like Ben Robbins seems to be saying that to run a West Marches campaign, you actually kind of need to, like, not be making moment-to-moment decisions as the GM, mm-hmm. which re- uh, makes me wonder how many systems would actually work in a West Marches campaign if that is if if that is so important, right? Yeah. But yeah, so to, to, so to try to tie it back together a little bit, thinking through the way that, like, he explicitly uh, omits the system made me sort of realize that this is uh, more about structure, um, which is a thing I have always been interested in, uh, is structure versus system in in role-playing games. I've mentioned this at least twice already. Um, But so, like, to think through sort of what you were saying in terms of, like, incentivizing good behavior in in people or or correct behavior, um, maybe... uh, by which we mean here, like fun behavior and and pro social behavior, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's interesting to me because I think I think you see that in two different ways in a lot of people talking about role playing games, right? One of the ways is just uh, the advice show, you know, the the you know a person like has guests on and they talk about the way the best way to uh, attract new players to your games or you know they write articles about like like the the five snacks that are best or you know most universally appealing at a D game or whatever the fuck right like <laughs> it's like a pure like here's here is what's worked for me and i think i can extract like a nugget almost like on the verge of self-help kind of shit and then the other way is the, like, system does matter kind of way, right? Is the, like, you incentivize the correct behavior by choosing the right mechanics that support a specific system. And then that system will pull in the kind of, you know, specific kind of people that it works for. And then uh, they will have more fun because we are all gamists here or whatever. So I feel like you get the, like, pure social and the pure 
I don't know. Maybe these are both just self-help things. <laughs> now that I'm saying it, maybe maybe GNS is self-help. Maybe GNS is Myers Briggs. Is that what I'm saying? I, I mean, uh, may, uh, maybe. I, it's, I, I don't. Myers Briggs has like a has ties to Nazism, so I don't think that has, sure. I don't think that's true of GNS, which is good. But. GNS is uh, a, is a, astrology. Then let's yeah. say. Um, um, but like. Yeah, so so part of what was interesting about this, and I think just to, you know, for for our listeners, I think we've been, so far, we have sort of, like, gone beat by beat through these things, and this, I, that's just not going to work for this episode, I say, however long in, um, 40 minutes, apparently, um, <laughs> oops, so we're going to be freewheeling a little bit, like, th- we're just kind of bouncing around, because this is not a structured argument, this is a bunch of notes somebody took on their own thing, and it's very interesting right yeah but i think what 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 i take from what you were saying at least about like the way he's um he's incentivizing good play and again that meaning like pro-social and and enjoyable uh play is not by not tackling it at the level of like you know telling people like hey here's the best way to organize your game or telling people hey i made this system that is best for this kind of player or whatever it's saying we can take a system and structure it slightly differently than you would expect in ways that are still coherent with the system as so as such to make it so that like 15 of you can have a really good time playing this thing that was meant for five people Uh, yeah (laughs) and also tell a weird story yeah yeah does that track with you at all? Or I butchered your point. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, the The thing that I, the thing that is very interesting to me about all of these posts together is that it it's both it is both very very specific. Like it's very clear that it's very specific to things Ben Robbins wanted to solve in like his gaming group or like his friend circle, right? Yes. But there's also a lot of stuff in there that I think is just really good and interesting generally uh, along these sort of like social kind of like in- incentivizing behavior lines. And I guess I, the the two things I'm specifically thinking of are the, I think it's in the second post, right? The game summaries and the, the table map, which are, uh, so the game summaries are after each session, Ben Robbins would not do summaries, but the expectation was set that the players would do game summaries. So fucking rules. Yeah, it's so good, right? And like, so what, what? So like four people out of the, you know, 14 or 15 total pool, four people have a cool session. They go and explore part of a place and then they write up a game summary of like what they did. And Ben talks about how basically over the course of West Marches, they, the game summaries sort of became their own kind of entire thing, right? Like the the players got so into it that they got really excited to like, you know, summarize their cool story and tell all of the other players and like get to brag a little and be like, mm-hmm. hey, we got to discover this cool ruin and you didn't. Isn't that rad? Uh, or be like, hey, remember like a year ago when you went into this that ruin and you couldn't open that door? Yeah. <laughs> guess what guess what the fuck was behind it? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's very it's very cool, but I I don't know, I was really struck by how th- like there's a lot of stuff in here that in terms of the like structure and like the social part of tabletop gaming, it it's very cool and I feel like you could excise it. And then also there's a there's a <laughs> 
there's also like it's just so clearly so specific to like how Ben Robbins wants to play right like how he wants his table to function and clearly how his players want it to function and and to be clear like to to reiterate like this is clearly how he wanted his table to function in 2001 and how he was thinking about how he wanted his uh, table to function six years later right like and 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 to i mean to echo my earlier point like i I really I, i genuinely really appreciated how clearly he i feel like lays out some of the sort of boundaries and context of like observations and uh again in claims that he's making yeah the so (laughs) the the social stuff in in particular is is really interesting because it it kind of is peppered throughout right like he mentions like things to be aware of as a gm running a west barches style campaign in terms of like the social stuff but it is only really explicitly like called out as a specific thing to pay attention to the social dynamics of both the table, but also the like email list or discord or whatever. It's really only called out super explicitly in one paragraph, I think. Yep. It's in the running your own. It's like the second to last paragraph. And the last paragraph is like, Hey, post a link in the comments. Yeah. And like, (laughs) Uh, that that to me was, I think, basically the biggest f- flaw, I feel like, which is just there's so much about running one of these campaigns that felt reading through these posts. It genuinely felt like having somebody who's like an empathetic project manager who's GMing this could be very useful because uh-huh. a lot of what I do in my day to day job, again, is like go into meetings and like make sure people's voices are being heard and like like you don't have to fight to get your idea out etc and so so much of i feel like the actual true like what you need to do to run a good west marches campaign is going to be to like make sure that you're setting up these social aspects to like you know that again people feel comfortable talking on the email list and there's not only one person who's constantly booking things or like starting the conversations Mm -hmm. i will say like i like agree and disagree with you about the like the fact that the the, it just ends with like a very brief paragraph on social stuff because like this whole thing is social stuff right Mm -hmm. like there's there are things that aren't explicitly social but like i don't remember where it's in but like there's uh there's a bit where he talks about like just like having to house rule that like you can't go on the same adventure on more than two adventures with the same person in a row because he saw clicks forming and he was like, yeah. uh, that, that like that turns this into just like two split campaigns rather than a West marches campaign. Yeah. He, he definitely, <laughs> he definitely brings stuff up, but also I feels like just gl- glosses over some of it. Cause like the click thing in particular, right. Is like, I don't know. I'm just already thinking of the various fraught ways in which people could reply to being like, okay, you can't ever be in the same party twice in a row. Like it just, again, it it requires a specific level of buy-in and like a really specific type of relationship to, I think to, to run this stuff. So I just, it's not like a deficiency, right? I just, because I am who I am, I do just wish he had talked more about some of that stuff in a little more detail. But then I do also understand you don't want to like talk through whatever personal, personal conflicts of your friends. (laughs) Uh, I get it. But um, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, well, so I, I was going to, I was just looking through my notes and seeing if there's, I, we've actually touched on a lot of the stuff I wanted to call out. I mean, I think that the two things that really struck me that we haven't really talked about are danger and competition, which are themes he brings up quite a lot. Um, yeah, there's some weird stuff around that. Yeah, he, so he says it a lot. Like, he says it a lot, right? Like, West Marches is yeah. dangerous, and it should be dangerous. Yes. This is purposeful. Yes. And there are reasons why he wants to have it be dangerous. And, uh, I mean, there's a he says a bunch of different things, right? But, like, the basic idea is danger is a tool for helping sort of unite a table, right? Like helping actually get the players to have to work together because they're in a really dangerous situation. So like, whatever, the enemy they're fighting is too big. They can't ever, they can't beat it as one person or whatever. And the enemy they're fighting is nature. Yes, 100%. (laughs) Um, And it was very interesting to me how he, the other thing that keeps coming up is competition and specifically even competition among players. And I thought this was really cool because I think he had, I think it's a really good, it's a really good way to to combine these sort of two two abstract concepts, I guess, of danger and competition. But like the danger is the world in a West Marches campaign. And because it's a series of sort of shifting groups of players, the competition between the players is really more just about like, like you have to work together because it's dangerous. And so the competition between the players isn't to like pull off the coolest, sickest move. It becomes like a meta competition. At least this is what he's sort of trying to uh, encourage. Yes. Which is this like competition between the players of like who gets to find the cool stuff. Right. And you, you sort of mentioned it earlier, uh, like a few minutes ago, right? Like, Oh, you remember you went to that cave and you couldn't get into that door. Well, here's what's behind it. He mentions this a couple of times, which is like dungeons have, Dungeons are mostly of a given level, like a danger level, right? An encounter level. Mm-hmm. But like uh, ruins or dungeons usually would have doors that were, you know, difficult to get through or like sections with really difficult monsters. And he was like, and the stuff in those sections is like genuinely very good. Like things players would get really excited about. And so he was very explicitly, again, via the like, via the player summary, like the game summaries, via this sort of, shared map he was encouraging this like friendly competition at kind of the like meta sort of explore exploration level and this very tight sort of teamwork required because of danger at like the encounter to encounter level which i found really interesting i don't know if i necessarily buy some of the danger stuff Yeah, the whole um, draconian law in town thing yeah. makes it safe. <laughs> that's, I mean, so that's like a... <laughs> that's like a, a... So that is very weird in terms of danger. There's also, I will just say, there is... These were these were definitely written many years ago. <laughs> uh-huh. um, there, there, are, there are definitely a few moments in some of these where I'm like, huh, okay. And yeah, that there's like this comment about how one of his tips is... The town is safe and the the wilds are dangerous. Like this is sort of a core idea that he promotes for a West Marches campaign. Uh, and one of the ways that he suggests you do that is to have draconian law enforcement in the town and none outside of it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a weird. There's a there's a there's a certain amount of whiteness. Yes, one hundred percent. There's a there's a weird aside about running out of a swamp like sissy girls. That is anyway. There's some yeah. There's some weird dated stuff that yeah. I feel like it, I, I 
Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't I don't know. I, I didn't really make a point. I mostly just kind of described the danger and competition stuff. But I'm I'm curious if you had thoughts about those things. So I I was just looking. I was skimming through some some quotes I had, and I think this one like is really good. I think it's from the first part. Um, so there's a quote in there where he goes, uh, "When they stumble into the lair of a terrifying hydra, they retreat and round up a huge posse to hunt it down." Just pulled that sentence. I was like, "Damn, this game sounds fun yeah, as fuck!" Right? Like that's right? just that's just cool as shit. <laughs> because. And it sounds fun. I mean, just obviously that sounds like a fun thing to do, right? Like, just be like, oh, shit, I found something scary in the woods. I'm going to go back to town and get all my friends. We're going to fuck it up. But then you think about it also on the level of, like, how would you handle this in a regular campaign of D&D, right? Yeah, yeah. You could theoretically, uh, theoretically, I mean, (laughs) in a lot of campaigns of D&D, what would happen is you would would fight it and uh, the DM would fudge some rolls and you would, uh, you know win or they would introduce a gmpc who comes in and saves you or whatever like like that's like being honest about it <laughs> probably the most common uh, way to deal with it otherwise they you could do the runaway thing and then you could you know go level up and then come back later but a lot of a lot of campaigns you don't end up coming back to the same place right yeah. so this is another thing that westmarch is is explicitly changing about um how people tend to play D. and then the other thing you would do in a regular campaign is you would go back to town and round up a posse of GM PCs yeah. <laughs> um, who would come and, and fight it for you or with you or whatever. And, and the idea of, yeah, being in a structured game where you you literally go back to town and you go back to the email list that's like the, a meta version of the tavern. And you like you could theoretically even like role play all your characters being like... Yo, we got. We have to roll up on this motherfucker with like six people, and then you have to literally figure out seven people's schedules to come up on this Hydra and uh, and fuck it up. Like that just sounds so cool, and it is fundamentally about like like friendly competition among the players. Because at a certain point, if you're like, oh, this is the coolest thing that we could possibly have done up to this point, you might get a little competitive and be like, oh, well, I uh, maybe I can like reschedule my softball game or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> so I can get in on this on this glory and, and obviously the danger. But like, I, I just thought that was like a, a really, really great bit of like actual play that was just like the, my, maybe the first time I was like, I want to do that. I want to do this. <laughs> yeah. And I also think this is another example for me of like wanting him to talk more about some of the social stuff. And like in this case, in a positive sense of like, I actually would have just loved to just have heard more about the literal logistics of how that worked. Mm-hmm. Like, did you, so did you just like stop, stop a session immediately? Like, did you, I, I just think there's like some real like brass tacks kind of logistics stuff in here that I'm very curious about. Sure. Yeah. Th- and yeah, I, I, now that I have like listened to like, a dozen interviews where this gets touched on briefly. I can never remember what's like in the text versus what I was supplementary, but like, I think there's something at some point where he talks about like the, like the goal was every session to get the players back to town to end the session. And if that didn't happen, then they would be forced to schedule another session, like before they ended where all of them could get back together to finish whatever they were doing and get back to town. Oh, that's an, which is an interesting Yeah, that thing. is interesting. Yeah. I don't remember that, but I I could have missed it easily. Yeah, that's that's interesting. So a little tidbit that I picked up somewhere at some point. I love your tidbits. Um <laughs> I would like to 
very briefly because you touched on the um was it was it called the evolving table or whatever oh yeah the the it's like the the table map i think was what it was called the table map yeah and just to like sort of touch on it because we haven't really touched on the sort of flavor elements of this and the table map is really cool i I meant to i actually meant to describe it and i think i i only described the the map or the summaries but yeah we got sidetracked um as we do so like the broad broad level flavor stuff um speaking of like things like oh the the town's got to be super law enforced or whatever this is this has definitely got some of the the whiffs of the old dungeons and dragons colonial mindset specifically west march is a setup that like this is the farthest west civilization goes the town is like is the frontier and like or is the like the the bleeding edge of the frontier and and like specifically one of the rules is like you can go anywhere you want except for east because if you go east you're retiring and um that's not where, what adventurers do that's where civilization is so you have to go out to the to the to the wilds um there's you know that whole that whole narrative is, is sort of baked in and, but i wanted to talk about the table because it's uh a fucking cool <laughs> it's it's very 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 good the look just quoting really quick when the game first started, the PCs heard a rumor that years ago, when other adventurers had tried their luck exploring the West Marches, they had sat in the tap room of the Axe and Thistle to compare notes. While trying to describe an area of the wilds, a few thirsty patrons had scratched out a simple map on top of the table. An X here, a line here. Uh, over time, others started adding bits, cleaning it up, and before long, it had grown from some scratches to a detailed map carved into most of the surface of the table, showing forests, creeks, caves, ominous warnings, etc. Where was the table now? gone but no one was sure where maybe maybe carried off as a souvenir smashed into brawl and used for kindling or perhaps just thrown out after it was too scratched to rest a drink flatly on hearing the story the pcs immediately decided to revive the tradition just as i had hoped they would which is fucking cool um just like that's a really good bit of like just general like world building advice <laughs> um, yeah. being like yeah um these people because because you can see the the you can see another way to do this right of just being like hey y'all need to keep a map um <laughs> it's metagame like you y'all are gonna need to draw a map um because i'm not giving you my map and you're gonna forget things between sessions and you're not gonna know where somebody went and you're, you're gonna need to share a map um but just bringing that into the world and being like oh yeah and it's like fucking carve into a table <laughs> Uh, is just really good bit of flavor that, like, I feel like is, is another small thing that absolutely um, builds buy-in. And and he makes some, yeah, mentions, like, was the table map accurate? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> but having a common reference point, a shared sense of what they thought the region looked like, kept everyone feeling like they were playing in the same world. Just, like, really solid advice. I mean, especially in a in a sandbox game like this, but... Honestly, for any th- any kind of tabletop role playing, I think it could potentially be interesting. Yeah, I I agree. I also I just uh, again I'm just so curious of like, like you are a hundred percent right that the table map is definitely a way to ch- sort of get buy in from folks. But like, I'm just so curious how how did he get over that initial hurdle of buy in? Right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I, I I've I have. I have DM'd a D&D campaign once. Not, I mean, I we did, I think, two or three sessions, but it was didn't <laughs> last very long. And I mean, I was doing it because the players at that table were excited about playing. And even with them, who were excited and who asked me to DM, it was still like, you know, you got to like get them to actually fill out their player character sheets. And like, <laughs> and like that's fine. That's a, that's a 
going back to project management stuff, right? Like that's so much of project management is like, how do you pitch this thing and like help them understand that it's useful and will be fun for them? In the context of obviously a tabletop game, it's about fun. But yeah, I don't know. I just I, I wish he had said a little more. Do you do you see why now I was like half convinced that this had to have been a uh, like extension of his twenty year campaign? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Right? <laughs> yeah, like a hundred percent. Because it either has to be part of the 20-year campaign or it has to be a lot of the people who were involved in that, right? Because, I mean, I guess this is maybe a different way of stating the point I've been trying to kind of make, which is like, it feels like there is a part of these posts that's missing, which is like, I would just love to know the stats of the 14 people and how many of them had been playing games with Ben for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, West March's, a West March's style campaign seems like a really cool thing that somebody would read these posts and be like, I'm going to do this. And then it would just completely fail because it's not like, it's not just like a well-established group who already mm-hmm. have some of that buy-in. So, so I've done enough Googling to see that there's now 9 billion things about West yes. March's campaigns done by lots and lots of people. Yes. I, I was like looking for some, uh, so I, I, one of the posts, it's a very short post on his blog. Uh, it just has like a little epitaph for like the first player character that died. I think I sent it to you in discord. Cause it was just cute. It was just like a cute little quote or whatever. Um, Oh yeah. I came to wizard's Creek, but there was no wizard. I went to Pike hollow, but I didn't see any pikes. I looked in the golden Hills, but I didn't find any gold. So why the hell did you expect me to know there was a centaur in centaur grove? Uh, and this is, this is attributed to preemptive eulogy of Revor barbarian and impromptu beat poet moments before the first, first PC death right. in the West marches. It's very funny. Uh, it's very funny. Um, but it's also like, I just, that is the thing that a person writes who is playing a game with a lot of people that he's played games with before. Right. <laughs> like, yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, it's cool though. That table map is really, really cool. And I even love the idea that it's not accurate, right? That like, yes, what it is, is an accurate representation of what the players and by extension, the, player characters think of the world like that's very cool in a bunch of ways and it's and it's important that it's coupled with game summaries because that's the same thing right it's like like um i think ben robbins has also talked about how like i I mean (laughs) the man went on to make microscope and had talked a lot about how microscope was influenced by west marches right because he had to do this like big history thing and that's that sort of he talks about that's how he always did dming and like he would like zoom in on certain parts of history or like structure history broadly zoom in on certain parts build those out uh and he's talked about how like west marches he did the same thing um and there's specific interviews i think mostly the one that i already shouted out the electric dice one where he talks about how like <laughs> the reason he made microscope is he was like i'm having all the fun in in the the D campaign <laughs> just like getting to build these worlds and i like want everyone to be able to have that sa- that fun because it's fun but i uh <laughs> uh he, yeah there's like an interview where he talked about how like he had a set lore of the world right and that's how he shaped it he like knew some of the history that maybe that's a better way to put it. He had a history of the world that was in his head that was um, sort of instantiated on the map itself. 
the game summaries uh, were people interpreting history. They were they like the players were like bad map makers and lore keepers. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's also the truth of the world because that's what's actually happening in play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which is fucking it's, cool. It's very very <laughs> cool. Yeah. I think West Marches is pretty cool. <laughs> I think so too. I mean, like that's the thing is like I. Uh, uh, I want to make it very clear, despite some of my like, ah, I wish he talked more about like every single one of these posts is just very fascinating. Yes. And like, it's a really, really cool idea. I don't actually, it's interesting. I don't actually know if I actually, like if I w- would enjoy playing in a West Marches campaign long term, if that makes sense. Like, it feels like a fun thing to be able to, like, drop into. But, like, I think for me, I so much of what I care about is, is like, cra- crafting sort of a world together and, like, a story together at a table that uh-huh. what you're doing is you're absolutely crafting s- sort of small stories. But I feel like I would, I would, I personally would miss a sort of larger kind of overall plot or, like, thing to sort of track down but even so like this is this was cool like i'm really glad i've read all of these i i feel like i'd read part of the first post before because i think you'd mentioned west marches or something um i i i have i have read this post the first post at least many times um i there was it was almost certainly we were in uh, talks about uh island demeter season two sure um, yeah yeah that i mentioned to you because i because island demeter is theoretically a perfect sort of oh. like social structure to do west marches yeah. in mm-hmm. right um uh except that it's been a pandemic for two years and no one has had any energy to organize anything yeah. um, and so distributing organization is like even harder um but yeah i i would i would really here's two things i would really love great i would really love to someday do a West Marches style campaign. I would also really love to read someone who has done a West Marches style campaign in a story game. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Like, what does West Marches look like with... I don't I don't know. I'm not going to be able to pull a game now. But, like... <laughs> <laughs> Apocalypse, Apocalypse World. Yeah, yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Um, like... Yeah, I would be... I would be very interested. Uh, which, you know, this is a... This is a, a fun thing now that I have in my pocket of like, okay, I finished watching the things I want to watch right now or whatever. Like, I, I think I might actually look up some West Marches campaign stuff and like see, see other folks who've done it uh, and see what systems they've used. Um, it seems, yeah, it's very cool. I mean, that's like, that's my overall summary is like, this is, this is rad. Ben Robbins has like come up with a really cool idea and I think has given a bunch of really interesting information to help folks kind of make it their own and run their own. And in some ways I'm just very, I think this is like a really cool and kind of generous thing. And you can also, I think, I think you can pretty clearly see some seeds for both um, kingdom and microscope in here. The microscope one being the fairly, the very obvious one, but like the kingdom thing, I think that's like, I've never played kingdom. I've only heard friends at the table play it, but like, you you get the danger and competition yeah. like thing in oh, kingdom sh- I think very yeah, clearly for sure <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah I did I have um <laughs> mm-hmm. uh one other thing I did uh, to try to look up was to see rather because he's na- he's mentioned explicitly once again the specter haunting on the matter of systems. 
Ron Edwards. Uh, yeah, there there is a speci- there is there is one of these posts that specifically talks about West Marches in terms of GNS. In GNS terms, West Marches was gamist, make bad decisions and you die, roll bad and you die, and heavily simulationist. If you're in the woods in winter and you have no food, you're in trouble. It's true. I was curious about that. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, I think it's an accurate description of West Marches, but I I don't... Do you think Ron Edwards would approve of uh, attaching GNS to a structure of a campaign? Because he seems to mostly want to use it uh, as a way to talk about systems specifically or people specifically. Yes, but also if you remember in System Does Matter, he explicitly equivocates on what he thinks a system is. <laughs> <laughs> and that and that is a very short article. So uh-huh. <laughs> I think that Ron Edwards probably has an opinion on whether he approves or disapproves. I don't know that I would... <laughs> think that that is in any way consistent with anything else he said that's fair uh i did i did do a little yeah, digging curious. and as far as i can tell ron edwards has never once talked about west marches on, on any of his platforms i like really there's like a, a short thing on the his new thing adapt press or mm-hmm. whatever um that's like talking about trying to do a like drop in uh west marches campaign but that's that was somebody else it was uh, a different user I, at first i thought it was ron edwards like this is a wild ass thing for him to be writing but it was it seems like it was just a, a different user doing an uh like ron edwards style uh report and yeah ben robbins posted on the forge a little bit but it was basically just in a thread about um his sort of hack of agon a game i know jack shit mm-hmm. about um yeah I, I don't think ron was even in that thread hmm. um I, I bet they have interacted at some point but i i couldn't find anything um and obviously you know i i was just doing a google search i, I wasn't like and google plus has been dead for a while now so that, that might have like yielded some things that no longer exist on the internet and and i'm not a you know professional researcher uh and i'm not being paid to be <laughs> so um all those caveats aside but like yeah there was just nothing i could find on like in like a good 40 minute search of ron edward saying anything about west marches anywhere <laughs> that is interesting surprised yeah, by that. absolutely that is surprising yeah. i wonder i wonder if it is a thing where it's like it's been lost to history because of technology obsolescence or whatever or they talked at a con once or whatever, and yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, that is weird. Uh, yeah. I feel like, I feel like we kind of, I feel like we kind of hit the thing. I think so. I, yeah, I, nothing, I've, I've now looked through my notes multiple times. I, I don't feel like there's anything else that I, uh, I want to bring up, I, like, genuinely, I think this is very cool. I highly recommend people read these posts. I think they're great. Yeah. I think there's a lot of stuff to think about. I think there's a lot of really cool stuff that you could, um, like I said, with the, right, with the, the table map and with the player summaries, like, I think that's, like, r- those are really cool things you could just kind of yoink, right, and just, like, include on your table. Um, but I also think thinking about, like, even if you don't want to do a full-on West Marches style campaign i think it's really interesting to think about stuff like the danger and and competition sort of at that meta level of like i i do just genuinely think again like i don't necessarily i don't necessarily know that i agree with everything he says about danger for instance but like <laughs> I, I think i definitely don't yeah, agree yeah. with that <laughs> but like I, I think it's a really like i think it's really interesting stuff to just like think about 
you know, uh, you, you, B, you have talked about, right? Like you and I have talked about this where like you kind of feel like you're maybe a, a little more of a friendly kind of GM in general. Mm-hmm. Totally. And so I just think it's really, it, it like, it's interesting to think like, okay, well, so let's take seriously what Ben is claiming about danger. Is that something I would like to introduce at my table, even if it's not West Marches? Like, is there, maybe you maybe you throw some, something really scary at your players and kind of see how it goes and see if they kind of like come together, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's, yeah, I think it's great. Highly recommend. Okay, uh, cool. Um, in that case, in that case, hold on. Wait, 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 oh, wait, wait. I gotta get my energy back up. Oh, in yes. that case. In okay. The- <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, BW, I have not clicked this link you have, have put into our show notes. What the fuck are we doing next? Uh, so you should click on it. Um, I should click on it. I'm okay. I'm click 3.2. Yeah, I changed the, I changed the folder (laughs) name. So if you did happen to click on it. Oh, fuck you. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to read, um, Aegon or Agon. I've, I've, I, I have now watched a few, the, the beginning of a few videos, and both John Harper and Sean Nittner, who are the the two people who've created the the version of Agon that we're going to read, which is the second edition, which is the sort of whoa, yeah. Okay. So uh, I'll I'll talk more about this in the next episode. But basically, Agon is a um, tabletop role playing game. It is created by John Harper and Sean Nittner. John Harper is known probably most famously for Blades in the Dark, and uh, it is a. I'm realizing that my when I restarted my computer earlier, <laughs> because we were having weird audio issues, I did not reopen all of my tabs. Um, yeah, so Agon is a uh, is a it's a it's a game that is it was originally created by John Harper alone back in like 2006, I think, and then was basically uh, revamped into a second edition. And that is attributed to both John Harper and Sean Nittner. And that was released by Evil Hat Productions. Uh, and it's, you know, it's a it's a beautiful little hardcover book um, and PDF. But uh, the, the basic pitch is far back in the mists of antiquity, a poet sings of great deeds wrought by mighty heroes, of monsters slain and justice restored, of wise counsel and devious strategies, of courage, valor, and daring, defiant of the gods themselves. Um, the basic idea is... They're hero players, and you get lost in islands populated by mythical creatures. And uh, each of the pl- the sort of hero characters are in the game itself. It is in- sort of inspired by Greek myth. So yeah, I thought it would be really interesting. It was mentioned. By ben Robbins uh, wrote, I think, a supplement for the original version, the 2006 version. Yeah, called like I, I think it's called Athena, but in like Greek letters. I believe that's what that. Is yeah, that sounds right. Um, yeah, it was then sort of revamped into this new version. Um, I, I, I'll talk more in the next episode about sort of the differences that, that I've been able to pick up between the two. But yeah, it's a it's a book. It's a book. It's a 160 pages. You and I can talk after after this. The listeners don't need to hear this. But uh, <laughs> I, I have a little reading guide because there's there's some guidance in terms of what to focus on. But yeah, we're going to read it. And I think it'll be interesting. I've now read the the whole book. I picked it for a bunch of reasons. Again, I'll talk more in the sort of game episode. But did you know that Ben Robbins had worked on a supplement when you picked it? Uh, no, actually. So I I mentioned this, I think, at, I, I don't know if it'll end up in the episode, but I mentioned this at the, at the end of the last episode um, when you said we're, we were going to read the West March's stuff. 
I think I have a physical copy of Microscope. Um, and I was really debating before I knew anything about us reading West Marches. I was thinking of doing Microscope or Microscope or Kingdom or Aegon, mostly because I was like going through my shelf and those three were next to each other and I pulled them. Um, I decided I wanted to do Aegon because uh, I've, I've read it once. I read it when I first got it. Um, but I thought it was really interesting. And then I started reading the West Marches stuff and it was mentioned. It, like, ben, there's like an aside in one of the posts where Ben Robbins says, like, is this why I like playing Aegon so much? Because I'm a cruel DM or something like that. Oh, I didn't remember that at all. Yeah. So he mentions it in one of the posts. And I, I believe, I mean, I don't even believe, I know just because of the way time works, he is referencing the original version, which as I've learned is much more competitive among the players than the second edition. It's like a much more cruel game, apparently. But yeah, so I, I decided we should read it and kind of kind of try our hand at at reading a full on book. So that's what we're reading. I'm excited. You're totally right. Uh, and the competition is what it's all about. Um, there's a parenthetical at the end that says, hmm, is this why I get a kick out of running Aegon? Mm-hmm. It's true. I'm a cruel GM. Huh. I don't even <laughs> didn't even pick that up. Holy shit. Yeah. This is cool. So uh, it, it'll be interesting. It's um yeah, I mean, it's it's. We'll talk about it more, right? But like the basic pitch is, you know, sword and sandals, kind of like mm, Xena is mentioned a lot in the book. Hi, I like that show. I made a whole EP about the first season. You absolutely did. Um, But yeah, so that's what we're reading. We're going to read Agon. Well, in that case, where can people find you on the internet, BW? Oh, God, this question every single time is going to stress me out. (laughs) Um, Uh... Mostly because I've realized my, <laughs> as clever as I think my, my like quote unquote brand name is, it's very annoying to explain in words. Uh, but yeah, you can find me on the internet at, uh, I don't know, go follow my brand, Instagram.com slash bakery slash workshop. And that's three words, bakery slash workshop, all spelled out, all lowercase and all smushed together. I uh, I weave things and I make ceramics and occasionally I bake bread. Where can people find you, B? It's so important that it's lowercase because Instagram is like super case sensitive. Um, you think you have a bad fucking online identity? That's <laughs> uh, fair. My like dormant Twitter handle is a pun on my dead name and the perpetrator of the September 11th terrorist attacks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Fucking. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> moves make uh-huh. moves uh uh-huh. yeah uh you i got on twitter you started early. a new twitter though you started a new twitter for our lovely podcast network i have an island demeter twitter i don't know if i'm doing anything with it i'm still i'm still between between yeah but you should go follow it uh twitter.com slash island demeter you should follow it sure yeah why not um uh go on your podcast app and look and subscribe to island demeter the podcast it's a good podcast with a bunch of queer bonami uh we replay a bunch of little tabletop games and kind of critically play them and have delightful times um uh, um, uh, season two coming eventually <laughs> uh, really want that to happen uh it's been a it's been a rough two years uh, i don't know if i don't know if you know yeah this, it's been it has but, been a rough two years that's very true uh yeah best place to find me is on islanddemeter.com uh, wow i don't know why i said it like that at all um yeah and other than that um eventually somewhere else because uh it's funny that we're 
because we're, I guess, like, pulling back the curtain, we've we've pre-recorded all of these, and I'm kind of assuming I'm going to be back on Twitter once we start actually dropping these. I just don't know if I plan on just sticking with the old name, or I'm gonna, like, do the little switcheroo where I, like, uh, change my Twitter name to something else. Okay. And then okay. just you can, uh, park on listen, the old you can, one. You can just beep this out or cut it out, but here's my pitch. Be Laden. You're welcome. Uh, you think that's not taken on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair point. <laughs> um, I have I have checked. Uh, okay, so that's that does it for us on the matter of systems. Um, that this right here was on the matter of systems. Um, thank you so much. This was a this was a good one. I think it was a weird one, but it was yeah, a good one. It was fun, at least for us. I hope you enjoyed listening to it, <laughs> listener. And if not, why are you yeah, still here? Yeah, don't, don't tell us. <laughs> Only tell us if you, you like it. We're both very sensitive. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>